If you will, uh, go ahead and keep your Bibles open to James 1. All right, we're going to be looking at this passage together. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I heard the story of this guy named Steve. Steve had a lot of problems. Specifically, uh, Steve had problems with his roommates. His roommates were filthy. Or they never left the house. They stayed up all night. In fact, they were kind of creepy. Uh, Steve's roommates were cockroaches. Right? Lots and lots of cockroaches. And one day, Steve had had enough with these roommates of his, and he snapped. Right? He went to Lowe's, and he bought a bunch of pesticide, a very special sort of pesticide called bug bombs. He didn't buy one bug bomb. He didn't buy two. He didn't buy three. He bought 25 of them. With 25 bug bombs, he can imagine kicked down the door and he scattered them about the house, right? And he activated them all at once. Sure enough, right, the fumigant from these bug bombs hit the pilot light of his stove, which triggered this explosion, which blasted the screen doors off his house, shattered all the windows, and set his furniture on fire. He told reporters that night, I really wanted to kill all those bugs. And I thought if I used a lot, it would last longer. According to the labels on these bug bombs, right, two canisters of fumigant would have done the trick. But instead, Steve got hit with a bill for $10,000. There was $10,000 worth of damage to his apartment. And the roaches were still there the very next day. Let's be honest. Right? There's a little bit of Steve, or maybe a lot of Steve, right, in every one of us. We've got this thing called anger, and we don't know what to do with it. Anger, which is this dynamite of the soul, has the power to blow up our lives and the lives of those around us. Why? Well, because we don't know how to use it well. We don't know how to use it rightly. As James puts it, right? The anger of man, it's not producing, and it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is what we're after in these verses. If you uh, look at them with me, I just lost my page, but here we go. Listen, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Well, how are we going to get the righteousness of God? James says, well, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And the thing that we're after in these verses is the righteousness of God. But what exactly is that? Well, righteousness is right thinking, right feeling, right speech, right action, right relationships, everything being all right. God is this way, right? He is righteous, and we are creatures who are made in His image. So that when God says, be righteous, or be holy as I am holy, God's not raising the bar on us so much as reminding us of our design, reminding us of what we were made for. If you want a good life, Life as it was meant to be lived, what you want is the righteousness of God. Life without it 
is dysfunctional, it's broken, right? it's painful, which pretty much sums up our lives and the lives of those around us. Why? Well, in large part because we don't know how to do, we don't know what to do with our anger. Right? We don't know how to handle it well. Today, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit want to teach us three things related to our anger. First of all, we're to get angry like God gets angry, which is to say slowly. Secondly, we've got a problem with our anger. And you're probably saying, well, no, duh. But third, right, there's a way for our anger to be redeemed. First, we're to get angry like God gets angry, which is slowly. Second, we've got a problem with our anger. And third, there's a way for our anger uh, to be redeemed. Well, first, right, we're to get angry like God gets angry. Now, according to the Bible, anger is not a sin. In fact, in a world full of hurting and hurtful people, a world where people are starving and are homeless and are murdering each other and are oppressing one another, to not get angry is actually a sin. Right? In a world like ours that is broken by sin, to not get angry is actually sinful. Anger is a quality or an aspect of God's perfect, holy, righteous character. In Exodus 34, when God declares His name to Moses, right, and He shows him His glory, God says, I am Yahweh, right, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, a God who is slow to anger, and who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right, he said it. I'm slow to anger, God says. Anger is a part of my glory. Right? It doesn't diminish it in any way. And God gets angry. And if we're to be like God, if we're to image Him, right, we must get angry too. Right? Albeit slowly. Right? We're to get angry slowly. I imagine at this point some of you are saying, stop, wait. Right? I don't like this whole idea of God getting angry. I don't like the whole idea of a God of wrath. Right? I want to worship a God of love instead. But friends, that's a false dichotomy. Imagine for a moment that I was at the park with my family. You know, Megan, Willa, Coulter. And imagine somebody comes up and kicks Coulter in the ribs, punches Megan in the gut, and throws our daughter to the ground. And if I simply watched this all go down, right, if I did nothing, if I said nothing, right, if I felt nothing, you'd be right to conclude John does not love his family. In that moment, love does not sound like, that's okay, you didn't mean it. God bless you. In that moment, what love sounds like is, oh, hell no. You can't do that to me. Right? You can't do that to my family. Right? In that instance, if I love my family, anger and not doting is the right emotional response. Right? Anger is love in action. Right? It rises to the occasion. So if you want to love, if you want a God of love, naturally what you're asking for is a God who's going to get angry 
when he sees his loved ones threatened and abused. Right? You can't have one without the other. Without the other. If you want a, love of, a God of love, you're going to get a God of wrath, right? who gets angry when he sees his loved ones threatened or abused. You know, true love, true love detests what destroys the beloved. Right? It detests what destroys the beloved. I don't know if you've seen the TV show Breaking Bad. My father-in-law, Jack, and I were just talking about it uh, this, this afternoon. But in that show, Breaking Bad, there's a girl named Jane. And when Jane's father finds out that she's doing drugs again, right, he gets angry. And the reason that he gets angry with his daughter, and the reason he gets angry with her drug-dealing boyfriend, and the reason he gets angry at the drugs themselves is because he loves his daughter, and he hates, 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 right, what the drugs are doing to her. He hates that Jesse is feeding her drugs, and he hates that drugs are leading her down a path that inevitably will lead to death. Jane's father is angry precisely because he cares, right, precisely because he loves. He gets angry Because Jane's father is a good dad. Jesus says that we've got a good dad too. We've got a father in heaven. And just like Jane's father, our father gets angry when he sees sees his children hurting. And hurting others, including themselves. If God were not angry over how we are destroying ourselves. If he didn't stand against the deception the lies, and the sins that destroy. He wouldn't be good, and he certainly wouldn't be loving. In her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, Becky Pippert writes, anger isn't the opposite of love, right? Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but his settled opposition to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race, which he loves with his whole being. God gets angry precisely because he loves. Miroslav Volf, who's a theologian at Yale, writes, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of your worship. He wouldn't. Because God is love, right? God gets angry. He hates sin. He hates evil. He hates what is destroying his beloved. Not because he isn't loving, but precisely because he is. But this is an important point. Right? God is slow to anger. Right? God's anger is not a cranky explosion. Right? It's a settled opposition to the cancer. Not a cranky explosion, but a settled opposition which is Pippert's way of saying God's slow to anger. What does that mean, right? God being slow to anger. Well, in one sense, it means that he's got a long fuse. Right? God's not constantly at your heels waiting for you to mess up so that he can blow you up. Right? He's patient right? and he's forbearing. And he is this way for a reason. Right, as Peter puts it in his letter, God's patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, 
but for all to come to repentance. God is slow to anger because God doesn't want to destroy you, but to save you. Ultimately, what God wants is your repentance. He wants you to turn around. He wants you to come home. He wants restoration. He wants reconciliation. He wants peace. These are the things that he's after. Tim Keller is especially helpful at this point. In one of his own sermons on anger, Keller states that loving anger seeks to do a surgical strike on the evil. If you really love and truly love someone, he says, say your teenage or adult child, and you see that child being an idiot, you want to destroy the idiocy, right? not the child. You want to destroy the fool and the child, right? not the child. That's anger the way it's supposed to be. However, in disordered anger, you don't go after the problem, you go after the person. You don't just want to do restitution and justice, you want vengeance. You don't do a surgical strike, right? You slash and you burn. This is not how God's anger is. Right? God is slow to anger. He is patient, and his anger has a good purpose. To destroy the fool and the child, not the child himself. To destroy the problem, not the person. To do a surgical strike, not slash and burn. Which is why when God gets angry, he's self-controlled. He's not reckless, but deliberate and restrained. When God gets angry, it's always the right amount of anger for the right reason, right towards the right goal. He is, right, righteous. What we're after, right, the righteousness of God, right, we, on our anger, ought to be righteous too. Right? This is what we were made for. This is the biblical ideal. Right? Not no anger, and not explosive anger, but slow anger. Well, it sets us up for point number two. We got problems. Right? I've got a problem. You do too. Right? We've all got problems uh, with our anger. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, James writes, The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. What's the anger of man? Well, you could say the anger of man is the exact opposite of what James lists in verse 19. Unlike the anger of God, which is patient and purposeful and measured, the anger of man is impatient, it's ignorant, it's judgmental, it's mean. It's quick to speak and slow to anger, or it's quick to speak and slow to hear. It's interrupting a lot. It's fidgeting and squirming as you wait to deliver the perfect comeback, or not wait, right, to deliver the perfect comeback. It's dishing it out but not being willing to take it in. It's about winning and not about seeking reconciliation. It is me, nine times out of ten. When I argue with Megan, an idiot, right? a fool. God is compassionate and he's gracious. He is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Right? We, on the other hand, are critical and judgmental, quick-tempered and out of control, abounding in hypocrisy, and self-centeredness. 
God is forgiving even as He is just. We hold grudges. We pass judgment. We're judgmental because we don't take the time to understand. And we don't understand because we don't take the time to listen. God shows grace, but we withhold it, right? even as we want it for ourselves. And when we do this, we act like a bunch of idiots, like a bunch of fools. Again, friends, listen. Right? The Bible is not saying that you should never get angry. Right? There are times when anger is the right response to a wrong action. Right? As one bumper sticker reads, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Right? We live in a fallen world full of hurting and hurtful people. And if you're not getting angry some of the time, you're not paying attention, you're not loving, or you're guilty of ignorance and indifference at the same time. Again, get angry like God gets angry. Slowly. The biblical ideal is not no anger or explosive anger, but slow anger. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, James says. Be slow to anger. Maybe you find yourself getting angry. Your heart is racing. Your blood is starting to boil. Stop. Take a time out. Ask yourself, why am I so worked up? What's this anger all about? Do I even know why I feel this way? Give yourself some breathing room so you can actually analyze your anger. Is my anger about something or is it all about me? What I think you'll find is that most of the time, what has you so angry is not some grave injustice, but a personal injury to your pride, your ego, and or your self-esteem. In other words, it's probably not worth it. But maybe this is one of those rare times where your anger is justified. Even then, you need to stop and you need to ask yourself some questions. Do I have a right to be this angry? As Tim Keller puts it, there's nothing wrong with being ticked when somebody slights your reputation. But why are you ten times, a hundred times more angry about that than some horrible, violent injustice being done to people in another part of the world? Why are you more offended and more angry about somebody slighting your reputation than you are about people being blown up in Beirut? Why does that make you angrier than that? It doesn't make sense, right? It's disordered. Your anger is out of whack. There are certain things that make us incredibly angry when the cause really warrants only a little bit of anger. And there are other causes for which we ought to be incredibly angry, angry, but we're hardly angry at all. Even if your anger is justified, right? The odds are the amount of anger isn't. Odds are your anger is out of control. Odds are your anger is out of whack. It's disproportionate to the offense. So you need to stop. And you need to slow down. And you need to ask yourself some hard and searching questions. Who or what am I defending? And does my anger warrant, or does that offense warrant this amount of anger? Unlikely. Unlikely. Thirdly, you need to ask yourself, what am I fighting for? 
right? This is a different question from what am I angry at or what am I angry about? For example, there are times when I get angry at Megan and there are times when she gets angry at me. And sometimes our anger is justified even if most of the times it's not, right? Sometimes it, sometimes it is. But even then, when my anger is justified, I still need to ask myself, what am I fighting for? Right? Am I fighting to win an argument? Am I fighting to prove myself right? Am I fighting to defend my pride? I mean, most of the time, it's yes to those things, right? But those things are stupid. Right? They're not worth fighting for. When I get angry at Megan, right, the goal of my anger right, ought to be protecting my marriage. Right? The goal of my anger ought to be restoring our friendship. If I'm fighting to win, or if I'm fighting to be right, or if I'm fighting to save face, well, of course I'm going to treat Megan like an opponent or an enemy, somebody who has hurt me and somebody who has to pay the price, right? somebody who needs to be destroyed, as it were. But is it possible for me to be angry at Megan without fighting Megan? Right? Does that make sense? Like, I can be angry at Megan without fighting her, right? but fighting for her and fighting for my marriage. Right? Absolutely, right, that's possible. And because it is possible, I can and I ought to repent a lot right? for the ways that I fight, right? for the ways that I get angry. You know, it's not enough to ask, what am I angry at? In order for your anger to be righteous, you need to ask yourself the question, what am I fighting for? Like, what am I working towards? Like, what's the end goal here? There will be times when your anger is justified, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it to protect your loves? Or in your unrighteous anger, are you going to actually destroy your beloved? Right? Don't do that. What are you fighting for? You know, we have some friends who hurt some family members of ours. And as is the case in most arguments, there are wrongs committed on both sides, right? My family had a right to be angry. But what are they and what are my friends angry for? You know, righteous anger is getting angry for the right reason in the right measure towards the right goal. It's destroying the idiocy in the child without destroying the child. It's going after the problem, not the persons. It's being reconciled and not necessarily being right. Because there's nothing right about that. James is at pains to show that we've got a problem with our anger. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Our anger is like dynamite, and we can use dynamite in the construction of bridges... Right? But we can also use dynamite to blow them up. And that's us, right? We're the kinds of folks who use 25 bug bombs when only two would do. We get angry too quick. And we get angry for the wrong reasons and the wrong amount towards the wrong goal. Was there any hope for us? Yes. Right? There is. And the secret is this, okay? Here's the secret. In order to be angry like God, which is to say, in order to have righteous anger, you must see and appreciate the ways in which God gets angry with you. 
I know, right? A little puzzling. I'll say it again. The only way you can be angry like God is when you see and appreciate the ways in which God has been angry with you. I'll explain that. Okay? Because God is love, God gets angry. And because He is righteous, He gets angry for the right reasons and the right amount and for the right goals. God has every right, right to be mad at us. He has every right to be mad at us. Look at the ways that we treat Him. Look at the ways that we treat one another. Right? And look at the ways that we treat the world that He made. We are like that guy who kicks the dog, who punches the spouse, right? and who spits in the Father's face. We are like that. We abuse God's good creation. We pollute the planet and poison its streams. We take what's good from the earth and then we fill it with trash. We abuse God's family. We turn people into objects to be used for our pleasure and or our personal advantage. If we can't use them, we refuse them, which is to say we treat them like trash, like refuse. And those that we don't use or refuse, we ignore entirely. We simply don't care about them. Worst of all, when we do these things, we do them as God's image bearers, which might be the worst sin of all, because every time we sin, we commit both an insult and injury, not only to God's creatures and not only to his creation, but to the creator himself, right? By doing it in his name. God has every right to be angry with us, right? Very, very angry. Our crimes against the Father and our crimes against His household are so great and they are so many that we deserve to be expelled from His house forever. We do not deserve to be in, right? We deserve to be kicked out and we deserve to die on the outside. It's not just that His anger is justified. The amount of anger is appropriate too, right? The punishment fits the crime. But what, my friends, does God do with his anger? What does he do with it? I'll tell you what he does. He goes after us, but not in the ways that you might think. He goes after us with the goal of saving us, not destroying us. Our sins incur the total, pent-up, perfect, and perfectly righteous wrath of God. But instead of punishing us, God himself climbs up onto a cross and he bears that punishment in our place. As one hymn goes, right there on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus die? Well, Romans 3 gives you a pretty succinct answer. It says there that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We all sin and we all deserve hell. But on the cross, Jesus endured hell so you and I don't have to. God put Jesus forward as a propitiatory sacrifice, which simply means Jesus was a substitute who would stand in the gap for us, a substitute who would bear our punishment in our place. And this, Paul says, was to show the righteousness of God was to show the righteousness of God, that God is both just and the justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just. He hates sin and he punishes it to the max. He hates it because he's love and he's loving. But God is also the justifier, which is why Jesus died for you. On the cross, Jesus bore the righteous wrath of God for you. And since it would be unjust to punish the same sin twice, right, there is now no more condemnation for you or for me when we put our faith in Jesus. This, my friends, is the secret to not only your redemption, but to the redemption of your anger. It's Jesus on the cross. God loving the sinner, but hating the sin. God angry at you, but fighting for the marriage. God angry at you, but fighting for the friendship. In this event in time-space history, the Son of God bearing the wrath of God in your place is the good news about Jesus Christ that we call the gospel. We call it the gospel, and it is the implanted word that is able to save your soul. It's the implanted word that's able to redeem your anger. How are you going to get angry like God gets angry, which is to say slowly, measured, for the right goal? Well, when you see the slow anger of God towards you, right, hating the sin but loving the sinner, angry at you but fighting for you, this is the implanted word that's able to save you. You know, in Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable about a sower who sows a bunch of seed. And some of that seed falls along the path and some birds devour it. Some falls on rocky ground where it doesn't have much soil and it withers away. Some falls among thorns which choke it out. But some seed falls onto good soil. And that seed grows up and it increases and it produces fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And Jesus is sowing the seed Right, this gospel seed, right, even now, he's doing it. So receive it. Receive this implanted word. Would it be buried deep in your heart? And would it bear good fruit? Friends, God gets angry because God is love. And human beings who are made in his image ought to get angry too. In a broken, messed up world where people hurt and are hurting, to not get angry is actually a sin. Which is why the biblical ideal is not no anger and it's not explosive anger, but it is slow anger. In our sin, we have a hard time striking this right balance. We get angry for the wrong reasons and the wrong measure and for the wrong purpose. But be encouraged because your anger can be redeemed. The way how? It's when you see the way God gets angry at you. Loving the sinner, hating the sin. Angry at you, fighting for the marriage. Angry at you, fighting for the friendship. And the reason he does this is because he loves you. Because there are some things that are worth fighting for. And because that special something, right, that special someone is you. Let's pray.